You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. I always enjoy that song. Um, thinking about that, it's your breath in our lungs. And yes, in a, in a physical uh, sense, we understand that the, the God, of Creator God, gave us the ability in our first breath out of our mother's womb to breathe. But I think about the Word of God and how it gives life. When the world feels as if it's a cascading waterfall just influencing us in our lungs and everything about us, we feel like we're suffocating in this world. The Word of God brings life. That's always ministers to me in singing that song on many levels. And this morning, that's our goal as we look at 2 John. We finish up the 1 John, now we're into 2 John next week. We'll be in 3 John before we move on to the new year. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 John. And as we read this morning, we'll learn quickly that John is defending the faith against false teachers. And he's defending this faith against false teachers. He begins to address the heart and the mind. And as he addresses the heart and mind, He experiences and he preaches love and truth. It's a very short book of the Bible, but comprehensive. It's a letter that many of us do not read. We typically go to 1 John, read through that, but then we forget about 2 and 3 John. The reality is, is that just a quick fact for those who enjoy facts and trivia is that the original manuscripts of 2 John were only 245 words, making it the Second smallest book in the Bible, letter in the Bible, next to Third John, which is 219. But in this small book, like I said earlier, it just packs a message to the church once again to combat false teachers. False teachers, even till this day, run rampant in the church. Many of us may have allowed them into our homes. We may have allowed teachers and people that we trust and respect, we may have allowed them to speak truth into our lives without testing it. We are responsible for that. Men and women, we are responsible to protect our homes. And we're going to look at that today as we look at this second John. And there's going to be some key themes and compares and contrasts as if it was knitted, this epistle was knitted into this wonderful, beautiful tapestry, this fabric of just the words of truth and love, command, walk, and teach. All these themes are woven together for us as the church to understand as we live out this life. The main idea of this book is that all of us as true believers of Jesus Christ must walk in these commands. We must obey. We must demonstrate through our obedience a love and desire for the teachings of Christ. We will see these things begin to work in us and they will be naturally become an outward expression of the Word of God that gives us this life, that gives us this breath, that fills our lungs with hope, peace, love, and joy this Advent season. John is to the point in this letter and today's message will be the same. We will look and learn four encouraging truths. The first one being that we as a church are to love the truth. 
The word of God in the word as in Jesus Christ himself. Secondly, we are to follow the truth. Third, we are to seek out the truth. And fourth thing we will learn today, desire the truth. There's this desire that permeates and begins to just show naturally out in our lives. So we'll dive into read 2 John and just work through it together today. 2 John, in the greeting, it says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you would walk in it. In verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So here we are in Second John as that first two verses, one through three, we see the elder to the elect lady and her children. The elders' love here begins to frame this opening section of today's passage. Who is the elder in this passage we've been studying is John. Many people believe that John wrote this letter because of his uniform. The uniform manuscripts identify the language. They identify the theological outlook that he has towards the church. Remember, we learned in 1 John that John was a, as if he was a professional and he was a, a theologian of love and understanding what the love and against false teachers and loving each other as the church was all about. So as we looked at and believed that this is John, this term elder describes the idea of John being an aged man, someone who is respected, a man who has spiritual authority over the church in Asia Minor. He was over that specific congregation We also believe that it strengthens his own personal testimony, once again, of his relationship with the Christ. So it's very clear to understand that the elder here is John writing to the elect lady. John, a respected man because of his experience, his character, and his being and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Then we go from the elder to the elect lady. And there's really two specific views here as we look at this term, elect lady. The first view is an actual woman, a lady, and the individual and her children. As I began to study and look through this, there were very clearly two different camps here. You had the individual and her, and her children, but then you had the local church 
and her congregation, her membership. So what I want us to look at, whether or not you decide it's a lady and physical children and or it is the church and her congregation, the applications and the truth applies to us today. So the route that I will lean towards this morning is the church and her congregation. You follow me there? So as John writes to this, and I'll back it up in just a minute, as John writes to this elect lady, he, I believe he begins to write to the local church. But we do know that there's a few truths here that are very clear, even though those last two points are, they're sided, they're 50-50. If you go read, there are some 100% truth here, very clear. The term elect lady is a term of respect, endearment. John is being very protective over this specific individual and or the church. This reflects John's writing style once again. That's why we believe that he wrote this letter. The term elect refers to God's chosen community of faith. You and I. Like you and I, we are loved and we belong to Jesus Christ. And we are loved and cared for as His own. And as we look at the second part of the verse, he says, in whom I love in truth. John just loves them. Loves the church. Loves them. He says, not only does he love them, but he loves them in truth. Not in just a specific affection, but in this word and deed. And that leads us to the first point that I mentioned a while ago, is that you and I as a church, we must learn to love in truth as well. We live in a day and age where we cannot forsake truth anymore. There's too many gospels out there. There's too many opinions. We must have a backbone in the Word of God. So what does loving in truth look like? We learn to love in truth when, we, when He abides in us and we abide in Him. Look at verse 2. It says, because of the truth that abides in us and, we will, and it will be with us forever. Therefore, to love in truth, we must love the truth. Truth being the Word of God, but also the physical human Word of God in Jesus Christ. If you look at that term truth, it's mentioned four different times in verses 1 through 4. We know that John is making a very clear distinction and a very clear point that truth is the essential need for Christian living. And why is it that way? Because I believe that truth creates unity. Creates this unity. And a unified church magnifies Christ. A divided church does not. When the world that the church stands, and when we as a church stand united in the middle of this world, it is counterculture. And only, the only way that you and I can stand united is that when the Word of God is the cornerstone, when the Word of God is the backbone, when the Word of God, everything we do, our response and our going and our doing is based off the Word of God. That is the constant in all of our emotion. It is the constant in all of our doing. I feel this way. That is great. What does the Word of God have to say about how you feel? I get that the Word of God does not address every specific detail of your life. 
But it gives us a blanket constant and understanding that we can all stand on as we stand united. Christ stands magnified and the world looks at us and believes in Him because of our love for one another. Because of our unity. We work out our disagreements. John was so concerned about the church. And we see in verse 3 that God's work is mentioned in His greeting. Look at it. It says in verse 3, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. John's order here, the sequence from grace to mercy to peace will mark the order from which the first motion of God in calling into our lives brings us to complete sanctification, satisfaction, and glorification with Him forever. And we've learned about that. Look at that. It says grace, mercy, and peace. And this threefold blessing together from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, based upon the circle of truth, and love. John was so clear to the church here, to you and I today, that we must love in truth. And in order for us to love in truth, we embrace the truth and we learn to enjoy it. And in Lord, and as we embrace it and as we enjoy it, that leads us to the second thought today is that we learn to follow it. We must follow the truth. Verse 4, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Just as we were commanded by the Father, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning. That we love one another. Listen to that. That we love one another. And then in verse 6, he goes on to say that, that this is love. That we walk according to His commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Look at John here. I want to say Paul, excuse me. John says, I rejoice greatly. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. That rejoice, that joy, that leads me to believe that following truth brings forth joy. Not only joy in your life, but joy in the believer, in your brothers and sisters around you. Sit with me for a moment. Let's bring this very practical. When you see a brother or sister abiding in truth, and that abiding in truth spurs on obedience, and their obedience ministers to you, what does that bring you? My hope that it brings you to the place that John is, that you rejoice. And that you find joy. And that in, in someone's obedience, not just ministering to you, but ministering to someone down the street. As a church tum, comes together unified, that's so important. It brings forth this joy that we join in with John as we rejoice. It may have been a, a monetary gift. It may be the child care, the ministry this morning, ministering to you so that you can come and sit here. 
It may be someone in home group, leading home group. It may be somebody like myself teaching on Sunday morning. But most important, it may be John's teaching this morning and his letter to the church that you and I are able to take part in and understand. And this should bring forth just joy that these people and individuals, the music team, the person who ministered to you that I don't even know about, your prayer group, sitting in the coffee shop, listening to you, giving you an ear. There's so many things that can just be calculated together that bring us joy, but we move so fast we can't experience it. So follow me here. The obedience of a brother and sister in Christ to the Word of God, responding to the Spirit of God and the the Word, will bring forth joy in your life. That's how the church works. We minister to each other and we love each other. It's so important. As is following, we see a, that the, these words, we've used the world standards. And just, let me just illustrate this real quick. We've used the world standards to set expectations on those being obedient. Let me explain. I get that there's a normal path of life. And this has been set up by the world, the culture that we live in. There are certain life points and marks. When you're born, then you go to toddler, then toddler, and adolescence. And most people this day and age are staying adolescence till mid-twenties. They go through college. They get married. So we have these natural life points. And we're expecting everybody to follow this rhythm and play by the rules. But what happens when someone, as a Christian brother and sister, steps out of this natural rhythm and says, I believe the Lord is leading me this direction? It's frowned upon. Maybe not here in this local congregation, but in the average church congregation, it is frowned upon if a man or woman steps back, gets out of the expectation and routine of the world to follow Christ. We as a church must be cautious. There is rightfully good understanding and to go and follow the direction, not of the world, but the process of this life. There's nothing wrong with being going to be educated and it's right to know and have knowledge. Hear me, I'm not saying that. But I'm not also, I'm not crawfishing back on my point. It's also okay to say, the Lord is calling me to go live across seas. The Lord is calling me to go work here or be here. We have to be so in tune with the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the counsel of His church and the counsel from God that when we make these decisions that we are in the will of God. It's very important here because our obedience will produce the greatest joy in our lives. And John is speaking of this joy for he rejoiced in those who walked in truth. So as we get back to focusing on the Word of God, I wanted just to tap in that real quickly on the obedience as a whole. So as he gets back here, he says... Children walking in truth. He was greatly rejoicing. And then we see in verse 5 another term of endearment towards a lady. Whether we choose once again 
to see this as a mother and her child or see it as a church and congregation, the application remains the same. John writes, love one another. Love. That's our obedience today as we walk away. We are to remain in this truth that we've heard from the beginning. To walk and to follow in this truth and be concerned with the truth. If we follow this gospel truth and we are obedient, then we will immediately become concerned with our conduct before the Lord. We would walk to walk in this manner that is worthy before the Lord. In verse 6, he says, this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. We should be concerned with this as a church. We should be concerned to walk in the ways of the Lord, to study the Word of God, and allow that to be the sole influence in our lives. John defines love not as a sentiment or emotion here, but this physical obedience and action. And those of us concerned with loving rightly, our aim will be to obey. I just want to obey God. I don't care what you think. I don't care what those around me think. Yes, I messed up. Yes, I made a poor decision. But now I have a life going forward and I want the life that the Lord has called me to, to use that testimony to be obedient to Christ and make make the gospel of Christ central in my life to magnify the Christ. You've got to remember that and believe that. And our obeying and following will produce joy. Truth produces joy. And we begin to rejoice with those who follow in obedience, but we do not rejoice with those who grieve God. We cannot agree with those who grieve God in their disobedience. We cannot agree with those who teach falsely, who deceive. Look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, and those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So we look at that third point today. Is Our goal as a church is to seek out truth. John is charging us, seek out the truth. Seek it. We know, because we know there are deceivers into this world. We know that this world belongs to Satan. And we know that people have chosen to be a part of the system of this evil world. But we must be aware as a church, loved and called, the elect, and be aware and guard ourselves from the Antichrist. And how do we do so? John lays it out in verses 7 through 11. In verse 7, he says, to seek out truth, you must recognize deception. In verse 8, we must resist the damage of the deception. And in verses 10 through 11, we must reject these deceivers, these false teachers. Look at verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for. John is writing to the church, the, the Christ, the love of God has worked so hard within the church, the body of Christ. Let us not lose what he has already done. So we, in verse 7, must, I'm sorry, verse seven must recognize the deception for many deceivers have gone into the world. But verse 8, we must be, resist the damage of these people who bring deception. Is that you following with me there? So how do we seek out truth? We recognize deception, resist the damage. And then verse 10 through 11. It says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. 
Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. We must reject. Reject those who are false teachers. Watch ourselves. Resist the damage. Reject the deceivers. This command is crucial because we have a responsibility. You, as the church, as the member of the church, have a responsibility to protect yourself from those who deceive. And John was concerned with this. Those who bully the church. The false teachers. He was concerned with the church that was built out of John's obedience. That was built out of the apostles' obedience. We should have the same concern for each other. Watch ourselves so that we may not lose what the Lord has done here at the Oaks. Do you know how quick it is? I was speaking with a brother earlier. Many churches have become so I. Even the songs we sing are about I. What you have done for me, Lord. But we should be a church about what the Lord is doing. Not what the pastors are doing, or the elders, or the home group leaders, or the hospitality team, all the different ministries. It's what the work is doing individually in our lives that we should be concerned about. Because if we do not, the enemy will march in here and destroy it. I cannot give it to you any more plainly. He will march in here and he will destroy it. We must protect ourselves and each other against the schemes of the enemy and the snares. We, we do this by placing priority in the truth and the word of God. That all that we do, everything we do, can be found or spurred upon by this word of God and his teachings. We know that someone loves Christ. By the fruit of their obedience. I personally can look at my own life. When I begin to find just weight. Oppression. The enemy working against me. Selfishness. Pride. And I begin to see that the fruit of my life. Is the fruit of my own reward. It's not the fruit. Of Christ working in me. And working out of me. We've got to be cautious, church. Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. John puts it very clear. He gives a warning to those who call themselves Christians. And there's no fruit to show for it. This morning I have the responsibility to tell you that if you find your life in this failure, in this failure of sticking and clinging to the fundamental doctrines of faith, I would say it's you have a bigger problem. And I want you to hear me. I'm not coming to you out of a works-based faith. I believe that our faith produces the works of God's grace. But if you find yourself in this struggle of lack of desire to even want to be in the Word of God, either two things are happening. There's unconfessed sin in your life. You need to get before a holy God and repent and be on your knees and weep. Or you're not a born-again Christian. But if you find yourself with a desire to be obedient, to long for the truth, to see the fruit of God's work in your life, press on. Keep pressing. 
even when the life is waiting. Keep pressing on. Because the church will rejoice in your obedience. We will find great joy in working together in our pursuit of Christ. But if you do not find yourself there, if you do not find yourself loyal to the teachings of Christ, please examine your heart. Do not fall into this snare of Christian. Do not fall into the snare and scheme of the American church. It's been going on way too long. There must be a born again, regenerate heart, repentive heart from going one direction, turn to face Christ and pursue Him. If that has not happened in your life, begin to work on that. Speak with someone you trust about spiritual things. Speak with them about truth. I know the pastors are more than willing to speak with you about that. It's very important that you know that you know and begin to watch the Spirit of Christ by the Word of God to work out this fruit of obedience in your life. And we will all rejoice in that. But then he gives a warning in verse 10. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring these teachings, teachings that whoever abides in, in the teaching is both the Father and the Son that Jesus came in flesh, he says, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. That's a strong statement. That's very strong. Verse 11, he says, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. I don't know about you, but I want nothing to do with the works of the enemy. However, the reality is, he is quick to deceive. But we got to recognize that deception. And we recognize that deception by walking repentant in the Spirit of Christ and we know the Word of God to test everything. Nothing wrong with that. And as we begin to look and we remain cautious, we got to ask this question. Should a believer let a non-believer into their home to show hospitality or aid? I mean, is that, what, is that what John's saying here? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, talking about the Antichrist, those who, who speak against the Christ in flesh and blood, a lost person, possibly, should we show hospitality and aid to these people? Yes and no. Follow with me. Yes, if the non-believer is in need to be loved. Yes, if the non-believer is open to the Gospel. And what I mean by open to the Gospel, this means they have not verbally said, I want nothing to do with your Gospel. I do not believe it. I do not believe in that. What we need to do as a church is recognize the Spirit of Christ working out physical needs to meet spiritual needs in people's lives. We aid them. We evangelize the gospel. And how do we do that? Here's what I use in my home. Is that when the gospel influence is greater than the influence of the lostness. In other words, of the world. 
or the non-believer. You follow me there? The gospel must be stronger in influence than the person who is lost. You can evangelize people at a park bench or in Starbucks. Church, be very cautious who you allow into your circle of influence. More specifically, your home. So yes, if you see that the gospel is at work in this relationship, but no, if this non-believer is a false teacher and an antichrist campaigning against the true Christ. Cut it off. I am A-OK with drawing a line in the sand saying you and I are against each other. There's a war. We've talked about that here. We're on sides. Sons of the devil, son of God. Believers and non-believers. As we remain cautious, we do not aid false teachers and antichrists into our homes, around our families, and as elders and as the church into this body of Christ. It's very important. And that leads us to our fourth and final truth in all of this, that we desire truth. We look at our lives and we must desire and long for this truth because in verse 12, John was writing here, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Listen to his heart here. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be made, I'm sorry, may be complete. You hear a longing there? That John has this desire, not just to pen this letter to the church, but to go to the church. And not just go to the church and be face to face with the church, but to see our joy come and be complete. Do we long for that as a church in community? Face to face, this is such a foreign idea in today's culture. And we know that all too well because of handheld mobile devices. Facebook, email. The idea of going face to face and talking to one another about a situation is becoming more and more foreign to us. We must as the church combat that in our community. There's nothing wrong with those resources. And we redeem them for the, to magnify Christ. But more importantly, we are to get in front of each other to express the fullness of joy. As I spoke to a brother earlier and just hearing testimony about what the Lord is doing in their lives at a Monday night prayer group. There's a reason we should sit down and share testimony of what God is doing, maybe over a cup of coffee in home group, however that looks like. But as we begin to work this out and study the word of God together, our joy is being made complete. And then we are able to rejoice with John, as he mentioned earlier, as we walk out this truth by being obedient. Paper could not suffice. So I really want to lean in on this. If the, if the, if the I say the farthest that your community reaches out of, that your community circle is Facebook, email, and text, I want to challenge you, church. Break those barriers. And I would even call them snares in your life. And get involved Take 2016 and dive in and get involved in community. Start with a smaller group of some sort. People you trust. doesn't have to be an organized group that we put together. Those are just to minister to you. 
Those who have been called to lead and teach are running these groups and leading these groups. Excuse me, the Spirit of God is hopefully running these groups. Everybody's just being obedient. But maybe there's a core group with just two or three people that you need to talk to, that you trust and talk about spiritual things. The important, the important idea here that John is speaking of and that we hear in his heartbeat is that pen and paper would not suffice and that he wanted to be face-to-face with the church. He wanted to hear the stories and the testimony. He wanted to know and see the children walking out in a manner that was worthy of the Lord through their obedience to truth. That's testimony, sharing and sharing with each other. Where the Lord's leading you, where you're going. So good to hear. So I ask a question as we begin to wrap up. When's the last time that you have sat one-on-one, one-on-three, one-on-twelve and heard testimony of God's goodness in the life of a brother and sister? Does it even excite you? Does it even begin to work in you? Maybe you can't because you're at square one with an unrepented heart. Living your own life. Doing your own thing. And that's between you and the Lord. I'm not here to to work that out for you. I'm here just to call it like it is, like John said. If you're not being obedient, you're not following the Word of God, you do not know God. If there's not fruit of that obedience, the reality is, is you've got a bigger problem. I've got a bigger problem. Heart problem, sinfulness. But this last line he says there, he says, the children of your elect sister greet you. This is where it spurs me into believe that this letter is written to the church and her congregation versus a specific lady and child. He says, children of your elect sister, if it were a lady, then John would be a sister. But if it were a church, then sister would mean another church. We often hear the church referred to as bride, her, she. And I believe here as well that if It was one church writing to another. And John was writing on behalf of that church. So more importantly, what do we know though? What do we know this means? That we know that Jesus Christ brings together brothers and sisters from every tribe, every language, and every nation. We are not the only ones on this globe this morning surrendering and worshiping a holy God. Quite frankly, there's people in Africa dancing circles around us, literally. Their house churches in China on their face weeping, praying for persecution. Their underground churches in Iraq and Middle East. They're those who just have no home, but they still can surrender their pursuit of Christ and want to be with Christ. And there's those in the, you know, I was ministered, I'll give testimony, speaking of testimony, I was ministered so deeply last night as I sat with my dad and he was able to read again. And he opened, he, he asked for a Bible. He didn't ask for an iPad, he didn't ask for a cell phone, he didn't ask for the latest update, anything, no magazine, book. He said, bring me a Bible. And we gave it to him and he said, I haven't read it in three weeks. I haven't been able to. I'm looking forward to this because I've missed it. And I'm like, I was just to the core. I would ask for my cell phone, straight up. I know my Bible's on my cell phone. Everything's on my cell phone. But I was like, man, Lord, I was just thinking about it. Do I have that same devotion, Lord? I pray and hope I do. 
you know, at his age, coming out of the surgery four weeks later, can't walk, and all he wants is his Bible. We have this disobedience this, this there. And the gospel of Jesus Christ will tear down any walls that you and I have of any nation, any tribe, more importantly, the family of God. But remember, it has to be hinged on the cornerstone of the Word of God. So the thought is that love, loving each other comes from Jesus Christ. It flows freely from Jesus Christ. And that's how you and I learn to love each other. And as true believers of Jesus Christ, we walk in His commands. And our obedience will demonstrate our desire for His teachings. And our desires for His teaching demonstrates our love for Christ. So as we wrap up 2 John, love the truth. Follow the truth. Seek out the truth. And desire the truth. The more you read it, I will assure you, the more you become desirable. You just want it and know it. So as we do that together, remember Jesus said, I, you will know the truth. In John 8.32, He wrote, you will know the truth. And this truth will truly set you free. So going into January 2016, going into the new year, my challenge to you is the Word of God. Priority. And as you begin to meet face to face one another and you hear testimony of God, make sure the Word of God is central and continue to work out in you your salvation. Let's pray.